All right, good to see everybody today. If you'd open your Bibles to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. Sorry, I'm going to be pulling this over here because I'm going to be using this whiteboard this morning. I want to read a thank you note as you're turning there that I just received this um, from the Butler family. Um, I don't always read every single thank you note that we get. Uh, This one happened to be handed to me right before the service. So um, I have it in hand and can read it for you. Uh, Sometimes that does not happen. Um, But New Life's, uh, to New Life, we cannot thank y'all enough for all the support and prayers we received during Kelly's hospital stay and passing. The wind chime was beautiful, and we appreciate the meal after the funeral. Thank you to all who came and supported us. And that's from the Butler family. Uh, That's from uh, Wally, actually Stephanie's father, and then Stephanie and Courtney, and then Seth and Theo and Sutton. Uh, So I do commend the church for their, for you all jumping in and helping out and ministering to that family as we could during that time. Uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 is where we are, and I'm going to share with you a message entitled, No Cheap Imitation. And as we come here to this passage, I think perhaps you'll see why I have entitled uh, the message in the way that I have. No Cheap Imitation. So the Paul writing to the church in Thessalonica in verse 13, and I'm just going to read 13 through 16 for us, and we may make it beyond that. You see that if on the handout that that is my hope and on the screen as well, but it's not, it's probably not going to, it's probably not going to work out well. Uh, verse 13 though, it says, for this reason, we also thank God without ceasing because when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you welcomed it, not as the word of men, but as it is in truth, the word of God, which also effectively works in you who believe. Verse 14, for you, brethren, became imitators of the churches of God, which are in Judea, in Christ Jesus. For you also suffered the same things from your own countrymen, just as they did from the Judeans who killed both the Lord Jesus and their own prophets and have persecuted us. And they do not please God and are contrary to all men, forbidding us to speak to the Gentiles that they may be saved, so as always to fill up the measure of their sins. But wrath has come upon them to the uttermost." May the blessings of the Lord be upon His Word this morning to accomplish His purpose in our hearts today. Let us pray together. Our Father, I thank You that we can come to You in Jesus Christ, our Savior, and I do so now, asking, Lord, Your blessings upon the reading and the proclamation of Your Word. Oh God, through the truth that is proclaimed, I pray, Lord, that this truth will resonate in the heart and in the conscience of every person. And Lord, that you would do what you would have to do with it today. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. 
All right, as we look at this together today, I've gone around the last few days asking people for examples of cheap imitations, and I've gotten quite a list. I even asked a few of you here this morning about what, when I say cheap imitation, what comes to mind, and I'm looking for something that just, you say it, everybody would think, oh yeah, cheap imitation. I've gotten a list of answers to this from vanilla extract to Hamilton Beach uh, blenders, all right? So uh, to uh, plastic swords to uh, fake coins. And the list could go on and on and on about cheap imitations. What we see with the church in Thessalonica is that they were no cheap imitation. They were not just an imitation of a church. They were actually a real church. If you go back to chapter 1 and you look there in verse 1, when Paul, Savannah, and Timothy, which that's Paul and probably Silas and Timothy are what, greeting the church. It says, to the church of the Thessalonians in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Remember, they have two habitations. They have a habitation in Thessalonica and they have a habitation in God and in the Lord Jesus Christ. And then we see the apostle giving thanks for them. You look at verse 2 of chapter 1. We give thanks to God always for you all, making mention of you in our prayers. Then you go over to chapter 2 in verse 13. <clears throat> and we see that he says, there, for this reason, we also thank God without ceasing, because when you receive the word of God. And then you go down to verse 9 and of chapter 3, chapter 3, verse 9. He says, but what thanks... Can we render to God for you for all the joy with which we receive for your sake before our God? Three times in these first three chapters, Paul gives thanks for this not cheap imitation of a church, but a church that is the real thing, a church that is genuine through and through. Why? You can go back to verse 13. We looked at this on Sunday night. But we see in verse 13 that they received the word. The word was received. We see in verse 13 that the word was heard. Look at it there. Because when you received the word of God, the word received, which you heard, the word heard, you welcomed it. The word was welcomed, not as the word of men, but as it is in truth, the word of God, which also effectively works in you who believe. And the fourth point last Sunday night was the word works. So the word heard, the, the word received, the word heard, the word welcomed, the word works. And it was working in them. They were no make-believe church. They were the genuine article. They were the real deal. And even though they were not in Judea where the church began, they were indeed the church. Do you remember the book of Acts? Of course you do. Do you remember the outline for the book of Acts? Acts chapter 1 verse 8 actually gives you an outline for the entire book. And it shows how the gospel will, will um, progress through the world. It's all right there in verse 8. He says, power will come upon you. Uh, you will see power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and then to the uttermost parts of the world. Is that what it says at the end? <clears throat> I want to make sure I don't confuse that. But I think that's what it says. It's going to go all the way. And in the book of Acts, you see the gospel progressing in the book of Acts from Jerusalem to Judea, Samaria, uttermost parts of the world or end of the earth is what it says in the New King James, end of the earth. 
All right. So Judea is where the gospel first bore fruit, where there were first Christians and where there was a church that was birthed and where it grew. That's the original. But this church in Thessalonica is just like them. They are imitating them. So that's going to be our first point. Actually, flip your hand out over, okay? Because that thing, we're not using it right now. Here's point number one. All right? Point number one, you've got the imitators. All right? Imitators. And this is seen in verse 14, I believe. All right? Verse 14, because he says there, for you, brethren, became imitators. In other words, they were acting like them. All right. So so we can see some things about this. And I might get a little bit of interaction from you guys this morning. If y'all could help me out. I'm fooling around with these reading glasses again. And I don't know how that's going to work out. Uh, So you got the imitators. So let's look, first of all. Y'all look at your Bibles there in verse 14. What were they imitating? I've already told you the answer, but what does it say in the text? What what are they imitating? Churches in Judea, right? So everybody see that? Verse 14, for you became imitators of the churches of God, which are in Judea in Christ Jesus. All right. That's what they were imitating. Now, continuing to look at the verse, how were they imitating that church or those churches. How were they imitating? Anybody see it? Suffering. Right there in verse verse 14. For you also suffered the same things. All right. So we see the what, the how. All right. Now, who were they suffering the same things from? It's there in verse 14. I'm sorry, their own, yeah, their own people. Now, the New King James says your own countrymen. So people from your same, from their same country, from Thessalonica were persecuting them or bringing this suffering upon them. The, the Apostle Paul would say in First Corinthians, 2 Corinthians eleven twenty six that he suffered at the hands of his own countrymen. The Judeans, but the Thessalonians were suffering from their own countrymen as well. So they are imitators. They are suffering in the same way that the church in Judea suffered. In Acts chapter 8, verse 1, the Bible says in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, Now Saul was consenting to his death, and that's the death of Stephen, At that time, a great persecution arose against the church, which was at Jerusalem, and they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. Uh, So the persecution began there in Jerusalem. It caused them to be spread, Judea and Samaria, and then that persecution would continue, persecution of the of the the Christians. I want to remind you of something from Matthew chapter 10. Matthew chapter 10 verses 34 through 36. Because we see this persecuting of your own countrymen, no matter whether you're in Judea or Thessalonica, it doesn't matter either one. In verse 34 of Matthew 10, Jesus said this, 
Do not think that I came to bring peace on earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to set a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And notice this in verse 36. And a man's enemies will be those of his own household. What's Jesus getting at here? He's talking about the difference or the division that the gospel is going to bring. People who once before were countrymen are now divided by the gospel of Jesus Christ because a portion, a small portion of that country began to believe in the gospel and that Jesus Christ indeed rose again from the dead and that He is the only Savior of the world, that there is no other. He's not just another God to be grouped in with the Greek gods that the Thessalonians would have worshipped then. But He was the Lord of lords and He was the King of kings. Jesus Christ was. So uh, He brings division. He sets a man against even His family at times. And there might be some of you here this morning, some of you fathers perhaps, who there, there are, there's a, a, a enemies in your own house because of your stance for the gospel. There might be that one day. Now, if you have a two or three year old, you think, yes, I do have those enemies here in my own household. But uh, when, when your children get older, they may not believe the gospel. They not, it may not embrace the faith that you have. And that enemy may be right there in your own household. And why are they enemies? It's because of the gospel, because of Jesus Christ and the difference that Jesus Christ has made. This happened, if you look back in Acts 17, this is where the apostles were there in Thessalonica. And uh, we find that the Jews who were there began to oppose the gospel. Some were persuaded in verse 4 of Acts 17, and some of them were persuaded, a great multitude of the devout Greeks, and not a few of the leading women joined Paul and Silas. But verse 5 says, But the Jews who were not persuaded becoming envious, took some of the evil men from the marketplace and gathering a mob, set all the city in an uproar and attacked the house of Jason and sought to bring out to the pe- bring them out to the people. Verse 6, But when they did not find them, they dragged Jason and some brethren to the rulers of the city, crying out, These who have turned the world upside down have come here too. Jason has harbored them. And these are all acting contrary to the decrees of Caesar, saying there is, there is another king, Jesus. And they, in verse 8, troubled the crowd and the rulers of the city when they heard these things. Do you see? When Paul's writing to them here and saying that you've suffered like the churches in Judea, it's something that Paul saw firsthand when he was there. That they dragged them out and they made these these accusations against them that they've turned the world upside down. So rather than bowing their knee to Jesus Christ as the 
the true king, they resisted him and they were opponents to him. So Paul knew it. He knew that this church was no cheap imitation, that they were the real deal. Not only that, but they had continued to suffer affliction and they would continue to also have a good remembrance of Paul, though Paul suffered greatly. Okay, so verse 14 tells us the imitators. We see uh, what they imitated, how they uh, made that known that they were imitating the church, and then who brought about this suffering upon them. It was their own countrymen. Let's go to our next point. All right, next point is this. Number two, if you're taking notes, next we're going to see the intimidators. And this is going to take us 15 through, uh, let's see, 15 through 16. The imitators and the intimidators, because that's really what it boils down to. These Judeans are just seeking to intimidate and cause the church to stop what they're doing, to, to, to stop preaching the gospel, to stop turning the world upside down. And, and that was an accusation from the, Thessal, the Jews in Thessalonica, but we see that the Jews in every place most every place were, was responding this way. Now let's see what we can learn about them, okay? Let's, let's work through this together. In, in verse 15, if we were to ask the question, how did they intimidate? That was almost intimidating there. Verse 15, how did they intimidate? If you look at it, what does it say? Who, what they do? Killed both the, who? The Lord Jesus and their own prophets. Alright, so the Jews killed their own prophets. He's not here talking about the Thessalonians in verse 15. He's talking about the Judeans. The intimidators that he's emphasizing here are the Judeans. Uh, the Jew, the Jews who resisted the gospel. And here they killed Jesus. And you might say, well, I thought that God was ultimately in charge of all of that and that it was God's will. Yes, you're right, it was. But we remember as well that in Matthew 27, that it was the Jews, the Jewish leaders, the, the crowd who cried out and said, let him be crucified. Pilate asked, what has he done? And they cried out, let him be crucified. Pilate says, I am innocent of the blood of this just person. You see to it. And all the people answered and said, His blood be on us and on our children. The Jews sought to hand Jesus over to Pilate that he might be put to death. So Paul calls them out here. He says, who both killed the Lord Jesus and their own prophets. So in other words, when it says their own prophets there, He's saying the people who told you that Jesus was coming, you killed them. We can see this in 1 Peter chapter 1. 
because it was actually the spirit of Christ who was in the prophets prophesying about the things that would happen in verse 12. To them it was revealed that not to themselves, but to us, they were ministering the things which you, which now have been reported to you through those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. And actually the previous verse, verse 11, talks about them. And it says, searching what or what manner of time the Spirit of Christ who was in them was indicating when he testified beforehand the sufferings of Christ and the glories that would follow. So they, they, they killed the Lord Jesus and they killed those who said Jesus was coming. And then finally, they are persecuting those who said Jesus has come. You see it there in verse 14, verse 15, and have persecuted us. So how were they intimidators? By killing the Lord Jesus, by killing their own prophets, and by persecuting the apostles, by persecuting the early church. Those who would speak to the fact that Jesus has come. Does that make sense? Now, who were they? They were the Judeans. We see that at the end of verse 14. What else can we learn about them? Or what is the result of their actions, these intimidators? You look at the end of verse 15. Do you see it? What does it say about them? They do not what? They do not please God and are what? Yeah, mine says contrary to all men. Hostile to all men. That means they're hostile to Jews and they're hostile to Gentiles. They're hostile to all men, these people are. Why were they hostile to all men? That brings us to the why. Why are they hostile to all men? Look at the next verse, verse 16. Do you see the answer? Why were they hostile? Forbidding what? Yeah, forbidding us to speak to the Gentiles that they may be saved. The, the way these Judeans, these persecutors, these intimidators were not pleasing God and were contrary to all men was because they did not allow the apostles to preach to all men that all men might be saved or that they may be saved. You see, Paul there in verse 16, he doesn't say, well, God's chosen those who are going to be saved, so it doesn't matter if I preach to them or not. He did not do that and he did not have that attitude and that is an unbiblical way to view the doctrine of election. The doctrine of election drives us to go and to preach the gospel because we know that God has people who will respond to that gospel. And when Paul here could not go and preach because of the persecution and the intimidation, the intimidators that were out there, then he, he said, I can't go and preach to them that they may be saved. He did not say, well, I guess they're just not supposed to be saved. No. He did not view it that way at all, and neither should the church today. Now, I want to do something, if you would, turn in your Bibles to the book of Acts, because I want to show you sort of how this, how it shook out through the book of Acts. Acts chapter 9 is where we need to go first, okay? Acts chapter 9. And I want to see you how, show you how consistent they were 
in their opposition to Paul. Acts chapter 9, verse 23, first of all. You know that this is the chapter where Paul was, um, where he was converted. Acts 9, 23. Y'all got it? Everybody got it? If you do, say amen. amen. All right, verse 23. Now, after many days were passed, the Jews plotted to kill him. But their plot became known to Saul, and they watched the gates day and night to kill him. Then the disciples took him by night and let him down through the wall in a large basket. Now, if you'll go to verse 29, same chapter. This is when Paul was at Jerusalem. And it says, And he spoke boldly in the name of the Lord Jesus and disputed against the Hellenists. Hellenists are Greek-speaking Jews. But they attempted to kill him. When the brethren found out, they brought him down to Caesarea and sent him out to Tarsus. So here at the end of verse 29, they attempted to kill him. Now, we can go to chapter 13. He's in Pisidian of Antioch in Acts 13, verse 45. Here the Scripture says, But when the Jews saw the multitudes, Acts 13, 45, But when the Jews saw the multitudes, they were filled with envy and contradicting and blaspheming, they opposed the things spoken by Paul. And then verse 46, Then Paul and Barnabas grew bold and said, It was necessary that the word of God should be spoken to you first. But since you reject it and judge yourselves unworthy of everlasting life, behold, we turn to the Gentiles. And then in verse 50, the Jew, but the Jews stirred up the devout and prominent women and the chief men of the city, raised up persecution against Paul and Barnabas and expelled them from their region. See, they would not allow them to preach the gospel to the Gentiles that they might be saved. Verse 51, but they shook off the dust from their feet against them and came to Iconium. Now, we can go to chapter 14, verse 2. Acts 14, verse 2, in Iconium. It says, But the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brethren. Verse 5, And when a violent... Attempt was made by both the Gentiles and Jews with their rulers to abuse and stone them. They became aware of it and fled to Lystra and Derbe, cities of Lycaonia, and to the surrounding regions. And they were preaching the gospel there. See, beforehand, they didn't have a problem with it. But then these Jews came along and poisoned their minds. And just keep in mind, folks, you can have your mind poisoned by people who are bringing false witness, things that are not true uh, about another. Your mind can be quickly poisoned. And we all should be on guard of that. And they had their minds poisoned here in this particular place. And they turned on the apostles. Now, going from there, we can 
Turn over in our Bibles to, well, later on in this chapter to verse 19. Because here we find them in Derby. It says, The Jews from Antioch and Iconium came there, and having persuaded the multitudes, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing him to be dead. You go to chapter 17. We've already looked at this this morning. We see them in Thessalonica and the Jews coming out there in verse 5. And then in verse 10, it says, the, Then the brethren immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea. When they arrived, they went into the synagogue of the Jews. And we would find later that those Jew, that the Jews from Thessalonica would come here and again cause problems in verse 13. But when the Jews from Thessalonica learned that the word of God was preached by Paul at Berea, they came there also and stirred up the crowds. And now the last chapter is chapter 18. In chapter 18 is where we find the apostle Paul writing to the Thessalonians. He's in Corinth. And in verse 6 it says, but when they opposed him and blasphemed, they shook, he shook his garments and said to them, Your blood be on your own heads. I am clean. From now on I go to the Gentiles. Verse 12. When Gallio, Gallio was proconsul of Achaia, the Jews with one accord rose up against Paul and brought him to the judgment seat. And then verse 13 saying, this fellow persuades men to worship God contrary to the law. Now, that's, that was a lot of passages. But do you see the pattern? And do you see why Paul would kind of uncharacteristically go off on these guys right here and talk real straight about who they are and what they have done? Because they killed Jesus. They killed their own prophets. And they are persecuting those who are seeking to preach the only message of salvation that, that there is. And that's the message of the gospel. Now, we're going to have to wrap things up. And I really expected to get through this. But as you look at this in verse 16, there's some interesting things that are found here at the very end of it. Because... He says about them, so as always to fill up the measure of their sins. The idea there is that they're maxing them out. They're, they're, there's a, a measure to their sins and they have maxed out that measure. And you see the result of this in verse 16. The result of them maxing out their sins is that wrath has come upon them to the uttermost. To the end. That the, the wrath has come upon the threshold of their lives and it is not turning back. The wrath of God will be real in their lives. And it was probably evidenced through AD 70 when Rome was destroyed. That was the temporal way, but no doubt the eternal way in which the wrath of God would be upon them. Now let's conclude with this. If you'll look back in your Bibles to Matthew 23. Matthew 23. If you're visiting with us today, this isn't normally the way I preach with writing on the whiteboard up here on Sunday mornings, but this is just the way it worked out today. Uh, Matthew 23. 
look at this because I find this to be, I find this to just really uh, be uh, fascinating. Matthew 23, and we'll start at verse 31. Remember back in 1 Thessalonians, he said that they uh, always fill up, they always, so as always to fill up their sins, max them out. If you'll look at verse 31. Therefore, he's writing, he's talking here to the scribes and Pharisees. Therefore, you are witnesses against yourselves that you are sons of those who murdered the prophets. That's why it could be said that they murdered the prophets. Verse 32, check this out. Fill up then the measure of your father's guilt. Not the exact same word, but the same root word. Fill up in verse 32. Same thing that we find in 1 Thessalonians 2.16. Now look at verse 33. Serpents, brood of vipers, how can you escape the condemnation of hell? Therefore, indeed, look, Jesus says this, I send you prophets, wise men, and scribes. Some of them you will kill and crucify. And some of them you will scourge in your synagogues and persecute them from city to city. This is Paul. Verse 34 is Paul and the early church, the apostles, as they are taking the gospel out. Jesus says, I'm sending them to you. This is the way you're going to be. You're going to treat them. Verse 35, that on you may come all the righteous blood shed on the earth from the blood of righteous Abel to the blood of Zechariah, the son of Berechiah, whom you murdered between the temple and the altar. Assuredly, I say to you, all these things will come upon this generation. I can't get into everything in that passage, but do you see how the two parallel with one another? What Jesus said and the reality that Paul is currently living and the things that he says about the Jews. All that was because of the gospel. Because they were, they were serving the Lord. They were preaching the good news of salvation. And here's the deal, folks. When the church is about the gospel, when we are living out the gospel in our daily lives, and when we are proclaiming it, we're going to suffer. There's going to be hard times. One of the greatest things that I can do for you as your pastor is prepare you to suffer. Because we're going to. All who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. You will. 2 Timothy 3.12 Paul said in Acts 14.22 that we must through much tribulation enter the kingdom of God. 
So don't let it take you by surprise. Sometimes our suffering might be from without. Sometimes it might be from within. But we're going to suffer. And what God is calling us to do is to have the right view of it and to suffer as Christians because we believe in the one who rose again from the dead. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you uh, for your word this morning. It's a lot to absorb and take in. God, I, I just pray that as we live the rest of our days and live, live immediately, Lord, this week, that whatever befalls us, even if it be suffering or persecution for the gospel, that we would know this is not something that's unexpected or uncommon for us. And Lord, I pray that we would remember what our end is. It's the kingdom of God and glory. And Lord, remember what the end of those who persecute is if they do not turn to Christ. It's the wrath of God, and it will come upon them. But Lord, I pray for those in our society and country who persecute and do not believe. I pray they would be like Paul the Apostle, who was like a brand plucked from the burning, like John Wesley called himself. Lord, I pray that you would pluck out from the burning many, that they would turn to Christ and be saved from their sins. And perhaps even today in this assembly, Lord, pluck out from the burning those who have not believed the gospel. Save them, Lord, please, through the gospel message. Lord, that they might be a child of God and be able to walk worthy of God who's called them into His own kingdom and glory. In Jesus' name, amen.